Welcome. Would you join me in a little prayer, please? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for, for the members of, of Shelzahov. Uh, what a blessing they are, Lord, as they share their talents, their gifts upon the altar, bringing the congregation uh, to adore you in praise. Thank you for your word, for, for all it means, for all it will mean, for all it will continue to mean. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last time we got together, we talked about being transformed. And we talked about how, how the transformation process is, is, a, is a passive work. And it's a work that it's done by, by God and not by us. Nothing we do, no meritorious, no meritorious works, no, no all the goody good things that we do, will bring us any closer to God if we don't have him as a cornerstone of why we do the works that we're doing. So, in, uh, back to Romans 12, in, in verse 2, Paul tells us that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect before God. We cannot change ourselves. Nothing we do on our own terms can make a difference in our character and our conduct and count before God. I showed you a video last week. We did a little editing on the video and I'm going to show it to you again. Inside the pupa, there's a lot of activity going on as the body structure of the caterpillar changes to that of the adult butterfly. This process will take about three weeks. Now, the pupal shell splits apart. The butterfly extends its legs and antennae out of the shell. Once its legs are strong enough, the butterfly pulls itself out of the pupal shell. At this point, its body is soft and wrinkled looking, but all its organs are fully developed. The sunlight has dried its wings. The swallowtail spreads them for the first time. The very first time I saw a video like this years ago, it reminded me of something that, that Christ himself had said. He said, the, the, the sons of the kingdom take the kingdom by force. There is, there is a struggle for you and I as we come into, into this thing called Christianity, into the salvation. And the struggle is our sin, our sin nature, our own way. And as we come through this struggle, as you saw there, the caterpillar fighting through that, that cocoon, finally breaking loose. And as I, remi I reminded you last time, when that, that butterfly took off, he didn't come back and pick up the carcass. He didn't come back and pick up the cocoon and said, oh, forgot something, my baggage, take it with me. He left the cocoon. He left it where it's at. Because in that transformation, in that metamorphosis, he was complete. In our metamorphosis, in our transformation, when we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, you and I may not know this, but we are complete. God has saved us. He is in the process of saving us. And then he will ultimately save us when we come before him. We tend to forget that we're complete. The process for, for us 
is God reminding us that we are complete, initiating the tools that we need, and then bringing them in as part of our, our arsenal to use as he stretches us, as he makes us into the image of his son. In Romans 7, verses 14 to 24, Paul expresses or he illustrates this dilemma that he has. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I, what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He expresses that there's a principle there. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to me, or, or for, to will, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I cannot find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law, a principle, that evil is present with me, and the one who wills to do good also. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law at work in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Ever have that struggle? You know the good that you are to do, and yet you do the opposite. You know that you don't want to do something, and you still do it. There is a principle there that, that, that Paul uncovers for us, and he, he separates the new man from the flesh. And we are reminded that sin is no longer in the soul or in the spirit, but now it, is, it remains in the flesh. What we need to remember, when the flesh is gone, the spirit or the sin expires. When we go before Christ, the soul, the spirit, goes before him completed, transformed. Sin has nowhere to go. It expires because the flesh dies and it's gone. William Barclay commented on this particular portion of Scripture. Let me read this to you. He, he titled this portion of scripture the, the, uh, the Demonstrations of the Inadequacies of Man. And he gave three points on this. And the first one is, he says, this, this passage demonstrates the inadequacy of human knowledge. Stay with me. I forgot to do this last week. He says, if to know the right thing was to do it, life would be easy. But the knowledge by itself does not make a man good. It is the same in every walk of life. We know exactly how the game of golf works, right? But to play it is another thing. We know how poetry ought to be written, but that's far from being able to write it. We may know how to behave in any given situation, but that is very far away from being able to behave when that situation comes up. Number two, he says, it demonstrates the inadequacy of human resolution. 
to resolve to do a thing is very far from doing it. There is, a hum, there is in human nature an essential, an essential weakness in the will. The will comes up against the problems, difficulties, the opposition, and it fails. Peter once had this resolution. He said before Christ, even if I must die with you, Lord, I will, I will do that. I will never deny you. Yet in Matthew 26, 35, we understand that he failed, and he failed badly. The human will, unstrengthened by Christ, is bound to crack. The third point that he makes, it demonstrates the limitations of the diagnosis. Paul knew quite clearly what was wrong, but he was unable to put it right. He was like a doctor who could accurately diagnose a disease, but was powerless to prescribe a cure. Jesus is the one person who knows what is wrong, not only knows what is wrong, but can also put the wrong to right. When Paul writes this, he's not writing to criticize us. He's writing to give us help. If we understand that portion of Scripture, we understand that we must submit to God. As those that have been called to be transformed, we must submit to God. You've got to hold on to that. This is where we, we purposely tell God that we will be pliable before you, Lord. I will be like clay. You understand that he is a potter, and we will allow him to stretch and to mold us into the image of his son. Now, in Colossians 2, Paul wrote, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins, the sins of the flesh, by circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your trespasses and, and the, circumcision, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities, the powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. When we see that picture, and, and this, is, this is our baptism into the family of God. Pardon me. Jesus on the cross took every one of my sins, past, present, and future. And he took every one of your sins, your transgressions, past, present, and future. And the scripture says that he nailed them to the cross and he made an open spectacle of them. You have to understand that he didn't take he didn't take our sins. He didn't take my sins. He didn't take JT's sins and wrote them down on a piece of paper and nailed them to the cross. You see, he took those sins and every living soul that has ever lived and will live until this comes to fruition. And he took them upon his body. They went upon the flesh. Every world or every sin that you can think that a person can commit, past, present, and future, were taken upon his flesh, his body. That's the nailing to the cross. And he made an open spectacle that everyone there, that the world itself would see, 
This is what I'm doing for you. This is what I've done with your transgressions in order for you to become a new person. You only have to believe it and then walk with it and allow me to do the work that I will do. It wasn't a game. It is very true. So, he, he speaks of circumcision and uncir uncircumcision. In the Old Testament, it speaks that there would come a time when God would, would no longer require, have the requirement of the circumcision of the flesh or the foreflesh, but he would circumcise the heart. And that's what happens to, to you and I, is as we have hearts of stone that are now turned into hearts of, I don't want to say flesh, but we have, we have hearts that are pliable before God. They've been, they've been totally transformed. They're no longer rocks that will crack, but now there are pieces, they are pieces of clay that God can actually form and change into what he wants. We have been spiritually circumcised, which means that our sins have been removed from us. Okay? We have been buried with Christ and raised with him. When we go through water baptism, there are, there are full-blown religions that, that will teach you that water baptism is how your sin is forgiven. If that is true, then what need do we have of Christ on the cross? We have none. This is not what Paul is teaching. What he's teaching here is that as we, as we go into water baptism, it is a representation. It is symbolic of what's going on. When we are taken into the water, once confessing before Christ that we acknowledge him as Savior and that we believe in our hearts and we speak the truth that, that he is who he says he is and that he sits at the right hand of God and that he has judged me and, and, and found me free in him. We go into the water to represent his, his death being buried. And we come out of the water representing that we are, we are in resurrection with him into this new life. So we are made alive in Christ. All our trespasses are forgiven. They've been nailed to the cross. I don't know... If you, if you stop and think about that on your daily routine, and you know when you blow it, you know, Lord, how could you forgive that one? And yet, if you belong to him, repentance is, is, is even though it seems like a minor issue for many of us, it becomes a major issue because we, we forget that he has died for those sins. It is because of those things that he came and died to keep the wrath of God from hanging over our heads. So when we slip and fall, and we do, we will. We slip, we fall, we come before him at that very moment if you can. For some of us, it takes a little bit longer because you know, pride seeps in and, and then all kinds of obstacles you know, get in the way to keep us from, from, from clearing the path. But the moment we, we relinquish that, the moment we in our freedom come before Christ and say, Lord, yes, I blew it. Help me to get over this and keep going forward. It is forgiven. It's been taken care of. Now, we experience this renewal of the Spirit. In Titus 3, the Scripture says that not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. Through the washing, 
the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And that having been justified by his grace, we should come, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to be, to affirm constantly that those who believe in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for men. There is a portion of Scripture that goes right after that and speaks of our calling to suffering. Most of us as, as believers almost never consider suffering as our calling. Stop and think about that when you get a chance. Think of those that have gone through suffering, those that are going through suffering, and even the things that you have gone through. We have been called to the sufferings of Christ. It is something you bring before God. He will show you that path. He will, he will give you clear thinking as to why you're going through that. Maybe not right away. You may not see, you may not see clear thought till after you've gone through it. But it is part of our calling. When we are joined with faith and repentance, baptism becomes a starting point for us so that we can experience true transformation. In Mark 16, 16, it says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And it's speaking of that, that baptism in Christ. He says, But he who does not believe will be condemned. The scripture says that those who are not in Christ are already under condemnation. If you know not Christ as your Lord and Savior, the wrath of God still is still hanging over your head. You have not been relieved of that. Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the process of transformation continues as we are renewed in our minds. Once again in Romans 12, 2, it says, And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Every time you and I step out in faith and in obedience to the things that God has called us to, when we do that, we are, we are saying to those around us, and we are admitting to ourselves, and we are calling out to God and reminding Him that this is good, and it is His, it is his good and His correct will for us. We are, we are participating in correct temple worship. Scripture, scripture says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we participate in obedience, maintaining the good works that God has called us to, we are affirming that what God has said is correct and good. And it is His perfect will for us. Now, <clears throat> in Ephesians... Uh, chapter 4, verse 20 through 24, Paul wrote, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Unless there is a renewing of the mind, 
any change in our lives will, will be superficial. At least there'll be a cheap copy of someone else's way of looking or living, aside from us looking at God's Word, who will teach us how we should be living. Now, we saw a video last week also, and we're going to have a little edited version of that particular video. shot just right there is that possible okay no problem that, that, that was pretty cool you see the transformation of you know somebody you know to be a truck or whatever but you notice it was all outward change nothing nothing internal changed they were all outward appearances even standing up you knew that they were going to turn into something else you know the the plane you see it once, you understand, you turn into a plane. This one's going to turn into a, you know, to, to a huge truck. Everything was outward. God, when he renews us, starts from the inside, and he works his way out. Your appearance begins to change, but it will never be like you were before. Just like that butterfly, you do not go back to the cocoon. If you do, something's wrong. The struggle was lacking. Something was missing. So we have to set our minds on things above as this transformation takes place, as this renewing of the mind goes into effect. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, we are told, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. Setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, Romans 8, 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. Feeding our minds with the Word of God, with prayer, with fellowship. In Acts, in Acts 2, <clears throat> the disciples steadfastly followed the apostles' doctrine. They were, they were involved in the fellowship. They were breaking bread and in prayer. And the scripture says that they were doing it daily. Would you and I consider communion once a month? Some do it once a week, once every three months. They were going from house to house, and they were doing it daily. Daily reminding and daily bringing those into the fold, right? Daily reminding them that God has called them to fellowship, to hang out with each other. Daily reminding them that they needed to, to break bread together, to be reminded that, that Christ had died for their sins. And daily reminding them that they had to be renewed in their thinking. The old patterns of the world were, had come to an end for them. New in Christ, Corinthians tells us that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. All the old things are gone. Everything becomes new. So, 
Pardon me. With our minds renewed, we can experience true transformation. We put off the old man, but we begin to put on the new man. Again in Colossians, it says, set your things on minds above, on, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Romans says the same thing. He says that we are to mortify the members. That's a, that's a King James word, mortify. You are to put to death all the things that cause you to use the members of your body, arms, hands, eyes, nose, lips, ears, all those things that would cause you to do the things that are contrary to God's word, you have control of that. You can say no. You can turn it off. You can turn the page. You can put the book away. You can walk away from that scene. You can, turn, you, know, you can turn the TV off. You can turn the radio off. You can drive away. There's a number of things that you can do to remove you from that, from that scene. So he says, and he, he begins to mention the things that are of this earth. He says, therefore, put to death the members of <coughs> which are on the earth, such as fornication, uncleanness, pa evil passions and desires, covetousness, all these things are idolatry. He says, because of, the thing, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves walked when you lived with them. You and I once walked in that, you and I were once in that, in that family, sons of disobedience. And God has taken, out of that, taken us out of that and brought us into the family of God. We are now sons of obedience. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off these things. You are to put off, here's the good list. We are to put off anger. None of us here ever get angry, right? We are to put off anger. We are to put off wrath. Ever get angry enough where wrath comes into place? We're to put it off. He says you're to put off malice. We are to put off blasphemy. Filthy language no longer to come out of our mouths. We are not to lie to one another. There's at least five or six times in the New Testament alone where we are, we are admonished. Do not lie to one another. He says, since you have put off the old man with the deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So we are to live according to the Spirit. In Romans 8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. So we are to set our minds on the things above in order to renew our minds, right? We are to meditate on God's Word. We get a pretty, pretty good idea of meditation. Meditation has that word of, um, <clears throat> you ever watch that scene where the cow is out in the field and, and it gets a little bit of hay, a little bit of cud, and starts to chew on it? And it can do that for like hours. You and I can get a piece of gum and we can chew that gum until it's leather, right? That's that sense of meditation is that you're taking it and you're taking every every ounce of juice out of that piece. 
every, every ounce of flavor is coming out of that, till there is nothing else that you can do with that or think about it, this is meditation for us. We take God's word, right? And it's quantity is not the issue at this point. Quality is the issue. You take a portion of God's word and you begin to think about it. And you begin to ask questions about it. All the simple ones like, you know, where, why, what, who, and when can get you some simple answers as to what's going on. The dynamics is, <clears throat> what is God trying to tell you? What is he wanting, wanting you to learn about how you treat yourself, how you treat others, how you treat family members, how you treat others out in the street? If you're in a band, how you treat fellow, fellow musicians? At work, how you treat your employer? How you speak to your manager? How you speak to those that you work with? How you speak to little kids? Teenagers? Ah, the elderly. How do you respond to questions that you, simple questions? You know, could, 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 you, could you help me? You know, you know I, I really don't have time. And you buzz off. You know, sometimes we don't, we don't take care of those particular times, and yet God is taking those moments, and he's stretching you. He's wanting you. There is nothing that, we come be, that comes into our lives that God has not ordained. The hardest thing, <clears throat> I would have had a hard time when I was in boot camp uh, years ago, I had the privilege of serving Uncle Sam. And had I been a Christian, because I know myself, had I been a Christian, and I knew Christians that were in, in, my, in my platoon, they had a hard time. It was difficult for them because the world was busy transforming us. The Marine Corps had a, had a, had a core set of values, and they had a particular picture in mine already, and they were taking who I was as this civilian that was so selfish and busy doing everything for himself, and they were taking this, this, this thing here, and they were going to press him into this mold and make him into, you know, the few, the proud, you know. And, and had I been a believer, I think I would, I would have come out a pagan, you know, this is, this is my thought because I know what I went through. And I know, what, I know how I used to razz those that were believers. We had at least three believers within my platoon. I remember what they went through. I remember there were a few things. In, within my family, we have those that uh, the Marine Corps is, is, is their, their military preference. We just have a line. I mean, that's where it goes. I had an uncle of mine that told me before I went in, he says, one of the things you need to consider, he says, when you're in there, do not take anything personal. They're going to come at you. They're going to get in your face. They're going to tell you things about your mother, your sister, your father. Do not take them personal. They're out to do one thing and one thing only. is that to mold you, to stretch you into this fighting machine that they want that will be able to be obedient to the instructions that they give you. And so that when they tell you to do something, you're not going to turn to the left or to the right, but you're going to do it. I had a cousin, cousin of mine that was also in the Marine Corps. He, says, he remembered, when they said, take the hill, guess what we did? We just took the hill. You know, didn't bother to look behind, you just went straight. And you did it. 
God has that in mind with us, except that he gives us this, this freedom of will and thought. You know. So now, if, if you were going in and you were a believer, number one, don't take the things they tell you personal. Instead, pray for the ones that are speaking to you that way. Ask God to show you how to be obedient to the call that they give you. Because they have your best in mind. They really do. They want you to survive. If you're going to make it a career, they want you to survive the 20, 25 years. If you're only going to be in for two years, they want you to survive. Everything that they teach you, much of that you hold on, I still hold on to today. Much of my training. But God had better plans for me. He took not only what they gave me, and then he says, you know what, now I'm going to transform your mind. You know, because one of the things the Marine Corps did give me, gave me a good language. You know, one of the things that God took away immediately was my good language. He did that overnight for me. When I woke up the following morning after knowing and, and, and knowing what I did, the first thing he took away from me was my tongue. And that's the first thing those that hung around me understood in change. I didn't understand that for years later. I thought maybe it was just, you know, things that I was, you know, the way I was acting. I said, no. The moment he took away my foul language, they understood something had happened to me. And most of them didn't want anything to do with it. They wanted that same old character. God does not want us to remain the same. He wants to change us every single day, every single moment that something comes into your life. You have to embrace it, good or bad. Embrace it and understand that God is working in you. He's changing you. He's gonna, you're going to approach a situation and God is saying, how do you normally handle this? Is it by how I called you to look at it, or is it strictly by what you're used to doing? God says, I have a way for you to handle this. There's either going to be patience, there's going to be self-control involved, there's going to be an issue where you're going to hold your tongue, there's going to be a, you're just going to pray, or you're going to walk away. We don't normally handle things that way. We would rather be aggressive. We would rather, you know, use sign language. You know, we would, we would rather just, you know, flip our noses. We all have, you know, every ethnic group has a particular way, you know, of using language, you know, physical language. We all, God has not called us to that. He, he has called us to be humble. If you have done wrong, God has an amazing way of treating us as believers. If you have wronged another person, he has a great sense of humor. In Psalms, he says that you are, it may be the proverb, but he says, now, if I've offended a brother, and I know it, I know I blew it, he says that I need to come before that brother like a deer comes to a hunter and just lay down and say, okay, I'm wrong. I blew it. I know that I have offended you. Do whatever you want. When's the last time you know a hunter had that happen to him? He's hunting for deer, and the deer just comes laid down and says, okay, shoot me. Yet, in those difficulties, God says, when that happens to you, and you know you've done it, you go to that person, you humbly lay down before them, and says, okay, this is what I've done. If I'm sorry it won't work, do what you have to do. I'll comply. That's a radical change. 
Yet God has called us to that. Amen. So, we are, we are to meditate on God's word. Of course, that, for the most part, takes it. We're going we're gonna to read his word or we're going to hear it. Getting into God's word is so easy these days. You don't even have to pick up a book. You don't have to carry a book with you. You know, uh, a simple iPad, uh, yeah, your, your phone, there's apps for that. Anywhere you're at, you can actually scroll in. The application will open God's word and you begin to read it. Easier than that, you can get CDs, right? You can, on your phone, audio. Nothing prevents us from reading and listening to God's word. Nothing prevents us from fellowshipping with each other, except ourselves. We are to hang with each other. Because if we don't, we'll never get to know each other, quirks and all. And many times, that's what prevents us from hanging with each other again, is we, be, we begin to understand our quirks, and we don't like them. And most of the time, it's in a, you're, you're looking in the mirror, you have the same quirk. But it takes you a while to understand that. God has called us to fellowship. Hey, you and I have an eternity coming before us. Don't think that just in this life is the only time you're going to see me. I'm going to burden you with my presence for eternity. Isn't that cool? And I'm going to love it. So, listen, we are to involve our minds in spiritual worship. Part of that has to do with when we assemble together, we pray for each other, we have corporate worship, but we can also, we can also meet Starbucks, you know, uh, Village Inn, uh, Taco Bell, at our home, at the park. We can do that. We can, we can have time together. We can pray for each other. We can encourage each other. This is what God has called us to. These are the things of the Spirit. The center of our mind has to be on Jesus. One of the things that helps me is that I can focus, I can focus on, on communion. I can focus on the supper. I can focus on that last meal that becomes our present-day celebration of communion. I can focus... Um, you, you realize that you can do that anytime, right? It's not like you have to wait for the first Sunday of the month. You know, I would encourage you, if, if you haven't done this, as, as even as single people, you can have a communion set at home. You, grape juice, if you prefer a little wine, okay, that's cool. You can have that. You can have your, the wafers, the crackers. If you're hunting, and I've done this before, if you're out in the woods and all there is is 7-Up and crackers, guess what? Coming before God, that can be consecrated. That can be blessed. Our focus is on what motivates us to do what we're doing. But I encourage you, set up a communion at home. Have your, have a, you know, break out a dish, a couple of, couple of cups. Have the grape juice, have the crackers there. Go before God. I have seen, I have seen marvelous things done just sitting down and thinking about the table of God. I know of people, and I go to family for this, who have gone through particular diseases. Listen, believe it if you want, I have, I have physical proof. They focused on the communion before God, and they did it daily because they heard God's voice. They heard, and, and they felt the tug. This is what I want you to do. And, and, and this, this relative, relative of ours did this. 
until God said stop. And what they were going through was gone. That was God speaking to an individual and that individual being obedient. It is what it is. God will do what he has to. He doesn't have boundaries. We do. Now, we are to, we are to renew our minds by putting off the old man, putting on the new. When we put off the old man, we put, we put off the old man with its sins. When we put on the new, we follow the pattern after the example of Christ. Modern studies, and we all know this, on self-improvement confirm this particular truth. We become what we think. It's all around us. We can change attitudes and behavior by filling our mind with positive mental things. Think, think about this. Those of you to go to school, universities, uh, technical schools, you go there and you, they begin to frame your thinking on this occupation that you've got your mind set on. Do they not? Your thinking is renewed in how you handle certain things because you're going into this particular profession. And they do that. But God takes it one step further. Not only does he want to change your, your view on how you, how you operate, he wants you to change your, your total perspective on, on life and profession. You catch, catch my drift? He wants a total transformation. Not, not just something that will take care of your occupation. Not just something that will put you on a machine or, or put you in front of a computer. But now he wants you to to reform everything about who you are, including how you treat that computer, how you treat that song, why you even stand before that or sit before that computer, why you even dream of that particular piece of software. See, why you even play your guitar, why you come up with the songs that you do. When you write, why you write the things that you do. He doesn't want to prevent you from being a writer. He wants you to be the writer that he wants you to be. So, for us as believers, God gets involved in this change. In Philippians 1.6, he says, Being confident of this, of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. When's the last time you took that little portion that you and I are to work out our, trans, our, our, our transformation, our salvation in fear and trembling? You see, you have to be honest with yourself. You sit down, have a cup of coffee, lemon juice, whatever, you know, lemonade, whatever you want. Sit down. It says, God says that I am to work out my salvation in fear and trembling. And that's exactly what he means. When God wants us to tremble about something, I think he expects us to tremble. Lord, what am I doing? Just the thought of coming up here has me in fear and trembling. Just the thought of telling you what I'm telling you because I'm speaking to myself. You just happen to be privy to this conversation I'm having with myself. Is fear and trembling. God is doing a work that is permanent, 
that will outshine anything you and I have in mind and will last for eternity, whatever that means. I know that it goes way beyond what we just have right here. So, here's the question. What hinders us from running this particular race? If it's so easy, because we have all these scriptures, we have all these things we've been talking about, why do so many Christians remain as caterpillars? Haven't even broken through that cocoon. Could it be that they haven't been regenerated? It's thought. There, is a, uh, there are parables. There is a parable that talks about when the seeds were thrown in different, different soils. There are some things that cause those that come to know Christ, they have that joy for a little bit. They have these things that come into their life, and you know what? I'd rather handle my tribulations without God, and God goes off to the side, and nothing's stuck. Tells us that there, there is... There is this moment that as soon as the seeds are thrown in the soil, that the evil comes, the evil one comes by and he begins to take the seeds out. Those things, they happen. But you and I have to deal with the seed that, fell, that falls on good soil. This is what I'm dealing with right now. The seed that falls on good soil sprouts, grows into the plant that God wants, and it produces in its faithfulness and obedience, produces. Now, uh, could, it could be that they haven't been generated. Does it have to do with the fact that maybe God's promises aren't fulfilled? They don't come through? You test it, eh, it didn't work, and, and off you go. No, listen, God's promises are true. They are faithful, they are yes and amen, says the scripture. Every promise that pertains to you and me, God is faithful. He will see that it will, it will work in our lives. <clears throat> I believe that, that the failure or, or the problem is, is the failure to renew our minds. So, can a mind be, re be renewed on a starvation diet? How many here have been on a diet before? All kinds, right? They always, they always keep you away from certain things. Don't touch this, don't touch that. And most of the time, we leave those diets because they don't work. They don't work. Our thinking hasn't changed on what's going on, what's going in. We're just, we're just following you know, a certain amount of, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, irregular Bible studies or no Bible studies at all, those are starvation diets. No fellowship. Uh, can our minds be, reju uh, be renewed on, on, on a junk food diet? There are certain books, articles, movies, radio programs. Some of that is just junk food. You and I as believers, we, we cannot be healthy. Our spirituality can't be, uh, our spiritual senses can't be sustained with junk we have to consider you know let God speak to you on that I can name things but I'm that's just my personal opinion let God speak to you ask him take the time set a moment aside get on your knees as Lord I remember I dealt I dealt with an issue of drinking okay 
And the issue was, is it, is it okay? Can I have a beer? You know, can I, you know, can I have a glass of wine? And I read a book by, by, by a man named Wilkerson. It's a simple paperback, you know, it took me about an hour and a half to read. And I looked at his view, I said, okay, that's cool. I understand that, you know. And, and, and then he came down to a pretty neutral. Like, this is. But he did one thing at the very end. He says, now, if you really want to deal, really want to deal with the issue, he says, the next time you want to have a beer, he says, pop it open. Go to your prayer closet, get on your knees, and enjoy it before God. Quite an experience. <laughs> Not much enjoyment. But that was me personally on what I, was, what I was dealing at the time. Didn't have to do with anybody else. It had to do with me. And it began, in that renewing of my mind, he began to shape my views, you know. And it was only the beginning. You know, it wasn't so that I could beat somebody on the head about drinking or not drinking, you know. Or beat somebody on the head because I, I have freedom, you know. It had nothing to do with that. It, my personal issue, I had to take it before God. I read somebody else's comments. I said, okay, why not? Take it before God, you know. He knew what I was going to experience, you know. And, and that's the way that went. Now, when we were why many Christians don't experience transformation? A, they become what they think and much of what they think upon is not becoming. It is true. We can spend more time reading and watching things that will please the flesh rather than reading and watching things that will please the Spirit of God. There is a struggle, guys. It, it, it's a true struggle between the Spirit and the flesh. The flesh, is, the flesh is always wanting to do what it wants to do. You know, what's that old saying? The Spirit is, and it's in the Scriptures, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Spirit is more than willing. It'll take up arms. It'll stand at attention and say, let's do it. Let's get it done. Let's take the hill. And it can be done. Our attitudes and our behavior are but a reflection of what goes on in our minds. So, we have been called, this is, our this is my conclusion, we have been called to be transformed into the image of Christ. We have all the, all the motivation we need in God's mercies and, and Christ's love. We have the opportunity to start anew by, by the washing and, and the regeneration. We must also allow our minds to be renewed by setting them on things above. Here's the question. Are we submitting to God? Are we submitting to Him actually doing a little brain surgery? And that's what He's doing. He's going into the central area, the thinking, the heart of you and, you and me, and He says, I want to go in there. And I want to reform everything that's there. I want to change it. And there'll be some things that I'll cut out. I'm going to cut out your foul, your foul tongue. I want that gone. I want to cut out your faulty thinking, how you treat your neighbors. You know, and he begins, he uses a scalp when he begins to do that. Are we willing to let him do that? We must be willing to let him do that. God wants us, 
He wants us to have a complete makeover. He has provided the means by Jesus' blood to remove the deformity that we call sin. He provides the tools, Bible study, prayer, fellowship. He's ready to fashion you completely. Are we making use of the mercies of God? Now, in light of God's wonderful grace, this is our reasonable service. Shall we not prove that the word of God and his will is good, acceptable, and perfect? There is a difference between morality and religion, guys. When we, we operate strictly on morality, and I get a sense that our, our Christian culture today is more wrapped up in morality than it is in, in, in the true sense of religion. In morality, we deal with a code. All we're doing is following a code. Somebody lays out the structure of the code, and you and I take it, and we want to shape ourselves to that code. But true religion, the scripture tells us, is knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And he's the only one that can give us the true code to follow. He's the only one that has a true picture for us. He's the only one that can make us take the wrongs and turn them into right. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your love, for your understanding. And my, my plea, Lord, before this congregation is that we would line up before you up upon the altar, offering ourselves as holy and living sacrifices, no longer being conformed to the image or to the standard of this age, of this world, but understand that following you, allowing you to stretch us, to mold us, to change us, to help us to realize that we have been transformed into your image and being transformed into the image of your Son that we will come to that understanding that those good works that you've called us to are in line with your good, your perfect, and your reasonable will. If you have not come to that point in your life, may today be that, that day. Take that step forward. Acknowledge Christ as your Lord and Savior. Acknowledge your sin before him. Acknowledge that there is no other way but to follow Christ. Claim him as yours. Believe in your heart that he died for your sin and express it vocally to someone that he lives in you. His promise is that he will save you. His promise is that he will complete what he has begun in you. He is faithful and he will do this until Jesus Christ. And we do this in your precious name.